ladies and gentlemen, I am just about 24 hours off from the best shows I've seen. Uh, Music-wise, shout out to Little Sims and shout out to Hackney. Amazing show. But as for this show, we begin. In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope everybody's had a good week. It's been an okay week for me. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't really complain. It's been, uh, it's been reasonably productive. Uh, it's nearly, it's nearly the fifth anniversary birthday, fifth um, November. That's coming thick and fast. So I'm trying to prepare some stuff for that. I'm also thinking about, uh, you know, just, just December and the end of the year. Obviously, I do a lot of lists and write up a lot of things, so I'm kind of, every time I listen to music, I'm like, is this going to make my list and stuff like that, and that's, that's what I'm always constantly thinking about at the moment, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of thinking ahead, and uh, also obviously thinking in the moment as well, but uh, yeah, so it's, I think it's always good to think ahead, but anyway, yeah, this week's been pretty, pretty decent for me, obviously, like I said at the start of the show. Uh, went to see uh, Little Sims last night, so it was my third, technically, time seeing her properly. Um, the second time when she's actually headlined her own tour, it's been on her own tour. Uh, I was on her previous, I, was, I visited, visited, I saw her previous one, uh, Stillness in Wonderland, uh, I forgot what the name of the tour was, but yeah, that. Uh, that was at the Roundhouse, and now this one's at Earth Hackney, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, well, just look up my IG. Uh, at chillycharlie22, the personal one. Uh, if you want to go go see some clips of that, uh, some got some great got some great stuff on there. Got some great stuff. I will I will say that I will say that. Uh, but yeah, so it's been it's been an okay week for me. Uh, apart apart from that, very productive I think. So yeah, I can't really complain. But anyway, with that said, let's get into the show. Might as well jump right in. Uh, before we begin, obviously formalities. Before uh, we have the email, we have the Twitter, we have the IG, both personal and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> personal and professional, and uh, also the Facebook as well, if you want to hear me up on any of those, I highly appreciate that, uh, thanks for the support, thanks for listening, as always, and uh, hope to give a great show, so without further ado, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where... Chuck D, the legend Chuck D, speaking of Chuck D, I always mention him at the start of the show, so funny he actually has some uh, news to, to news to give, uh, he's receiving the 2019 Woody Guthrie Prize, um, I forgot what the prize itself is about, um, I think it's about activism, something like that, so uh, yeah, and Chuck D is all about that, so yeah, so well deserved prize. Uh, the US have eliminated uh, ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Um, I've been I've been watching I've been watching a few uh, like you know comedy shows from the US at the moment, and obviously they talk about that when it's uh, on a weekly thing. And the way Trump flexes about that is so funny, and it's so absurd. Uh, it's it, the dude's the dude's his own sitcom. I swear, it's like the way he talks and the way he pronounces shit is just absolutely fucking comical. So, so it's not even worth. Uh, you you can literally just watch him be him. And it's, excuse me, and it's funny. It's just, it's just dumb. Anyway, continuing on. Uh, the EU has given the UK another extension uh, to exit the EU. la dee da what a surprise. Didn't see that coming. Uh, that's now three months. So, yeah, another, another three months of that. And uh, obviously we have a general election coming through. And actually that's, uh, gonna, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, continuing on, uh, Google and the British Cultural Archives have collaborated. Uh, my my Google and my phone just popped up for a second there. Uh, the British Cultural Archives have collaborated to celebrate UK Black History Month. Uh, if you haven't go, uh, if you haven't checked that out, go check that out. Very, very uh, great. Uh, I think way to start if you want to get into that kind of stuff. And obviously, I've been trying to 
hail that in the past few weeks. But uh, yeah, so it's a thought worth uh, shouting out. Scientific, a scientific study claims that uh, the ancestral home of Homo sapiens, which is us, is in Botswana. Now, there's obviously a lot of reports, uh, you know, from the Nile to, uh, to to anywhere in East Africa, really. Uh, there's uh, there's loads of places where it's considered, you know, the birthplace of Homo sapiens. But now, uh, one scientific study has kind of claimed this in Botswana, which is, I guess, somewhere different. Uh, I think below the Zambezi River. So yeah, just uh, just thought I'd throw that out. And lastly, R.I.P. Mr. John Witherspoon died at age 77. Uh, Boondocks, Fresh Prince, Wayne Brothers, Boomerang, Friday, jeez man, this, that dude had a career and a half, and is, in my mind, one of the most realist people out there, well, was one of the most realist out there in terms of, uh, in terms of acting and the arts, I mean, the dude was, he, he, he was professional, but he 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 knew how to just like act, like just act himself and and him acting as himself was just funny as hell. Uh, if you haven't seen anything John Witherspoon related, I highly suggest you go do uh, go do that because the dude is just it was just mad funny. And um, uh, there was actually a podcast uh, recently that I listened to. Well, not recently, a, a few months ago, earlier in the year, called uh, I think it's called Strong Black Legends actually, uh, uh, hosted by Tracy Clayton. Um, it's it, it, they did they did basically like a, it's like a mini series of interviews um, uh, interviewing um, black uh, artists that are you know well into the game people like John Witherspoon uh, I think Loretta Devine was one of them as well uh, that's the dude from Lion King Jason Weaver he was I think he was uh, one there as well so yeah it was there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good people in the uh, black acting spaces and have been there for obviously for a long time and he and John Witherspoon was one of those interviews and it was very enlightening and very uh, very enjoyable to listen to so if you want to go listen to that go listen to that I highly suggest you do if you want to learn a bit about John Witherspoon but yeah R.I.P. John Witherspoon I woke up I woke up to that news today and I was just like nice peak <laughs> so I, yeah I hate waking up to it like, if it comes up during the day I'm I can I can move on but like just waking up to it is a bit it's a bit of a sour taste in my mouth uh but yeah which again with the show itself and we shall, well, in terms of what we have today, we have uh, two, well, one life, one life slash film and TV, you'll, you'll understand when I get into it, uh, one film, actual film and TV, and one music. And I think I shall start, I might as well, actually, you know what, I might as well start with the actual, uh, uh, the, the film and TV slash life one, because I, I, f- I feel like it's important to talk about now, especially, I wasn't going to talk about it before. But now I want to talk about it simply because of the fact that we now in the UK have a general election coming next month, and I feel like this is important to this is important to uh, to to say where I'm standing on this particular subject. Right? This is I think this I think this is worth talking about and worth enlightening you guys on this front. So if you didn't see if if you don't you know partake in Channel 4 uh, stuff, uh, obviously they have the investigative journalism series uh, Dispatches, and this week they did one on the NHS, and specifically the NHS um, potential potentially being not, not I don't want to say bought by American pharmaceutical companies, but in, in that vein of being bought and, you know, and uh, 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 making it not the NHS, basically, just just totally making it into what um, what the American health system is, which is doo doo. If you if you ever seen if you've ever seen any horror stories from the US in terms of uh, medical bills and stuff like that, it's ugh, ugh, it gives me chills, it gives me fucking nightmares to be honest. So this particular, I'm gonna read from a article here from HITC. Uh, Mr. Christopher Weston um, wrote this one. And it's basically just a description of what happened in the show, and uh, and basically, yeah, just everything around the show, to be honest. Uh, this particular, the, the particular episode, dispatches. So let's get into it. Uh, Our national health service will not be on the table, quote unquote. This is a quote from PM Boris Johnson discussing the potential of a post 
exit a trade deal with America. It features right at the beginning of a recent episode of Dispatches titled Trump's Plan for the NHS, which was shown on Monday, October 28th, 2019 on Channel 4. However, it quickly undercut with a, se- a separate segment statement uh, from President Donald Trump, everything's on the table, dot dot dot, so NHS or anything else, unquote. With public concern escalating daily regarding the future of UK, UK health services, Anthony Barnett uh, spends the episode discovering how a trade deal with America may force the NHS to pay a great deal more for US medicines, creating serious issues for our healthcare. Uh, the UK, in a... <sighs> I nearly said it, in an exit situation, is going to be the weaker negotiating party, says uh, Tahir Amin, a lawyer and drug pricing expert who has previously been involved in US negotiations. The documentary episode revealed that senior British British civil servants have been meeting with representatives of US US companies to debate the future of the NHS post-exit. Boris Johnson, in the earlier quote, declared that that was off the table. But the findings of the documentary highlight that the talks currently under that the talks currently underway contradicts such a statement. So the statements that so the the the, the meetings are already happening, ladies and gentlemen. So we haven't even left yet, and the talks are already happening. So just to sort of put in a note, pin in that note. Yeah, putting a pin in that. Uh, it's been reported that U.S. drug company. Uh, Representatives have held already held numerous meetings with British officials, uh, with two said to have taken place in Washington. This is going on in secret. Dispatches is aimed to raise awareness and public knowledge, and in that, it has achieved success. Labour's Shadow Health Secretary Jonathan Ashworth argued, "Quote: These revelations that trade officials had secret face-to-face discussions with U.S. pharmaceutical giants to pay to make the NHS pay more for U.S. medicines." Shows you can't believe a word Boris Johnson says in the NHS, unquote. To hear Amin later said that me- uh, things may continue to progress secretly as a result of using coded language uh, so that words like NHS were not mentioned uh, as to avoid accusation, etc. Ultimately, serious measures are being taken to keep the general public in the dark about these negotiations. This dispatches episode has, sure- has surely helped the situation a great deal, and one person in particular shared his thoughts. Uh, and then they show a tweet from Jeremy Corbyn, which um, you can check out yourself if you follow Jeremy Corbyn, I guess. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn tweeted above. Oh, I might as well say it while I said it. Uh, this confirms what we know would happen with the Johnson-Trump trade deal. The Tories would put our NHS at mercy of the US pharmaceutical tech and private healthcare companies. We will stop a no exit, no deal exit and Johnson sellout exit deal. Hashtag dispatches. One viewer wrote, okay, it's time to really take this Americanized NHS service seriously now. This cannot be good for our, our in caps, uh, all caps, health service, our NHS dispatches. Summarizing another passionate uh, viewer relayed, if as a result of the exit, uh, the UK had to accept US equivalent drug pricing as part of any future American trade deal, it would add £27 billion a year to NHS costs, equivalent to adding an extra 10% onto income tax. So, I say all that, and I ask you, why in... Give me... Actually... I don't know how to word this, actually. Actually, I'll word it in two questions, actually. One, um, it, since you since since we're doing all this, um, leaving stuff, and you guys know where I stand on it, it's illogical, just in terms of, you know, independent projections of where we're going to be at economically, uh, compared to just staying in the EU like normal people. You know, it's just... It's, it's, it's ludicrous. And when you add on everything else, it just makes it... It just makes the argument that much stronger. I honestly couldn't... I don't want to say I couldn't care less about what people voted for, because at the end of the day, people voted for it. But with that said, it's clear that people that voted leave were clearly misinformed and that has been factually confirmed in many reports and documentaries and articles everywhere. It's, 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 it's fact that people were misled on that particular campaign three years ago, right? So I want to ask, um, 
one, would you rather do it? Would you do this knowing what I just taught, what I just said in that particular article? Uh, why just what, what was just stated in that article? Would you still do it? Because if we don't, you know, if we just, uh, you know, just not leave, you know, because I believe that should be an option, personally. But, you know, democracy and all that. Um, would you, would knowing knowing all that, knowing that the government is currently secretly keeping it away from us, having talks with the US government and US pharmaceutical companies. And it's not even the government, actually. So break this down. So it's not even, it's not even government. It's not even, quote-unquote, public service. It's private businesses. They're discussing private businesses, discussing with private businesses, our NHS, which is a public service. See, I'm not exactly ex- educated on the economics of public service versus private service I don't really have any statistics on that and I don't really want to dig into that kind of stuff but in this case in this case it's just illogical to be in a private healthcare system it's it's illogical (laughs) considering that we have a public health service and you know, in practice, it has been a success. We can agree on that, right? I I certainly hold, you know, the, my good health to the fact that we have a, a public health service. Like, I, I most likely will be struggling in that case. My sister will probably be... I don't know. I don't want to know, to be honest. I don't want to know that particular... Um, alternate universe if we had instead of public health service a private health service I wouldn't know what to think I wouldn't want to think about that particular reality to be honest so with that all those with that all said and knowing that we have an election coming I I I really I you know I will say I will preface that if you vote who vote for who you want to vote for and Without me saying who I'm going to vote for, well, fuck it, like it matters. <laughs> I don't really know, to be honest. I'm going to do my research, actually, believe it or not. So I have a month. I'm going to do my research on it because I'm not exactly loyal to a party. I'm not. I don't really understand why people are. Um, being loyal... Politics shouldn't be like sports. This is a tangent, I know, but politics shouldn't be like sports, in my mind. You shouldn't constantly say that oh I've voted Labour for 30 years why why <laughs> so you're telling me there's no other party with with uh, with better policies in those 30 years and obviously this accounts for the fact that usually it's either Conservative or Labour and then there's people that just don't care and they either don't vote don't register or vote for Lib Dems or Green Party or Ross Raven Libby Party or whatever or UKIP, the good old UKIP or the good old BNP or the good old National Front. Oh, big ass throwbacks right here. Going to this is England days. <laughs> you know, it, it, that's obviously that's obviously where it comes down to. You either vote and you either vote Conservative or vote Labour, and you feel like your vote matters, or you just quote-unquote, throw away your vote and vote for Lib Dem or one of the outside parties, hoping that something happens. Or not even caring that something happens, you just did it just because. But I want to ask you, what w- would you seriously vote Conservative knowing that they're willingly taking talks with US private uh, pharmaceutical companies? Because this is a genuine reality now, is about to happen soon as we leave and if they win again because because uh, obviously clearly labor doesn't make it easy for themselves and in polling is it's looking like conservatives again which blows my mind but here we are i mean nothing should blow <laughs> nothing should blow our minds in this case in terms of politics these days but uh, still does i guess always always there to surprise uh, you, you the public the uk general public never fails to surprise me um knowing all this 
And this is not even talking about the exit, to be honest. I'm just talking about med- just talking about meddling with the health service. And, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. The main reason why I voted Remain was because we had, as a country, politically, socially, any elite, better, bigger, th- bigger fish to fry, basically. Way bigger fish to fry. We are not, we were not a utopia in 2016. You know, we and back then we were talking about NHS prices, uh, talking about we were talking about police, uh, crime, poverty, child poverty, homelessness. Where where are those news items now? You can't. They can't. The, the news. The news people can't cover that because the exit shit is constantly going on, and that takes priority because that's the that sort of Damocles above our head right now. <laughs> And, I mean, I'm right. <laughs> I was I was right in terms of why I voted to remain. You know, I'm I'm right. Uh, have you heard Have you Have you heard any articles on 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 crime or homelessness or child poverty? I ain't seen a bit. I ain't seen it. I ain't seen an article on child poverty in a minute. So you know, maybe I'm not in the, looking in the right places. I'm not actively searching for them, but I'm just saying. So. I just want to end with, you know, election is coming next next month, and I'm gonna be surprised. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna be. Um, I'm not gonna say that, you know, you should vote this person because, let's be real, they're all crap. But I will say, in terms of how you vote, I'm not going to say who you should vote for, but I want to, but I want to offer you some, something on how you should think about voting, one, they're not a football team, okay, you don't buy their scarves, you don't buy their shirts, okay, this is, this is not football, okay, this is not sports, okay, if you voted conservative all your life, it won't hurt voting whoever else, they 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 don't they don't they don't they seek loyalty but you shouldn't give them that because you're an independent person you see so that's that's how I that's how I think anyway if you want to think different go think different one it's it's for me it's not a sport there is no loyalty here if you offer me something good I will give you my vote that's how it should be that's how a democracy should be it's not a fucking football team okay this is not Chelsea Arsenal okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real, okay. Two. For fuck's sake, learn the facts. Just, just learn some facts. Okay, there's a lot of spin, constant spin. Uh, looking at a Labour Twitter or a Conservative Twitter, and looking at what they give you, of course, is going to be positive to them. Look up some independent sources and then go off that. And I did have another point, but I forgot it. But I think you know what I'm getting. I think you know where I'm getting at. Just be important. Be important. Just be impartial. That's the word. Be impartial. Be individual. And you know, don't vote. Uh, don't vote conservative to spite Jeremy Corbyn, or don't vote Labour to spite Boris Johnson. You know, that's that's not how it works. Um, but yeah. Politics is fucked. I'll, I'll I'll probably say that for the rest of my life now. It's just a it's just a blanket statement. Politics is always, and in this case, forever will be. Fuck. So we move on to film and TV and. Uh, yeah, this, this, this isn't heavy. This isn't heavy. <laughs> and I was pretty just uh, I, was, I was pretty in my uh, I, I I'm in my when it comes to politics I'm just like depressed but not surprised kind of bag and yeah that's just how it goes. But anyway, this one's a bit more or well, not positive but it's a uh, it's, it's it doesn't it doesn't affect your life <laughs> uh, in a way that politics does. But anyway, so Netflix has. Uh, 
uh, are testing, I guess, uh, I guess uh, testing or, or already rolled out a a, a speed up feature where you can watch Netflix stuff uh, at one point five times like faster instead of one times. Uh, you can obviously add another point five on that. And directors and people that do film are pissed. And I can imagine, I can imagine why, I can understand why, but uh, for those that don't, I'll get into it, uh, particularly in this article here, this is by uh, Mark, ooh, that's a name, Mark Wasilik uh, Wilson, Wysislik, Wysislik, no, Wilson, there you go, I said it right, Mark Wysislik Wilson, uh, for Tech Radar, and uh, it's called, uh, you can now watch Netflix movies one point times faster, and Netflix, uh, and directors are furious. So let's get into it. So Netflix are testing a feature that lets you watch movies and TV shows at up to five time, 1.5 times the normal speed, and the film industry isn't happy about it. The option to tweak playback speed is currently being tested with Android users, reports uh, Android Police. <laughs> Android Police, what a name for a, for a site. Uh, it lets viewers play videos between 0.5 and 1.5 times the usual speed. The ability to view in slow motion will be ca- uh, welcomed by eagle-eyed viewers who want to capture every moment of a scene, or for anyone wanting to check uh, a minor detail. Alternatively, if you're pushed for time and looking to cram in as many episodes as possible into a weekend, faster playback will be re- a real boon. Uh, filmmakers, however, are not pleased. Angered auteurs include Peyton Reed, director of Ant-Man, who expresses frustration on Twitter. Dear Netflix, is a terrible idea. And I and every director I know will fight against it. Sincerely, Peyton Reed. Uh, Reed isn't alone. In his disapproval of Netflix's tinkering with artist work, actor Aaron Paul was similarly shocked, saying, Stop. As the person talked about in this article, I felt the need to speak out. There is no way, all caps, uh, Netflix will move forward with this. That would mean they are completely taking control of everyone else's art and destroying it. Netflix is far better than that. Am I right, Netflix? Filmmaker and actor uh, Judd Apatow does, uh, didn't mince his words expressing his opinion on the idea either. No, at Netflix, no, don't make me have to call every director and show creator on earth to fight you on this. Save me the time, I will win, but it will take a ton of time. Don't fuck with our timing, we give you nice things, leave them as they were intended to be seen. That's, a t- that's some beefy words right there, boy. It's a declaring war. Very, very war declaring, I like that. Nice and uh, fight and talk. Uh, it's important to note that at the moment, it, this is not only, not only limited to Netflix Android app, but also that is an experiment. It may not be around for long, and it may not make its way to iOS and web users. In a statement about the feature, Netflix said, quote, we're always experimenting with new ways to help members use Netflix. This test makes it... It makes it possible to vary the speed at which people watch their sh- watch shows on their mobiles. As with any test, it may not become a permanent feature on Netflix. Unquote. It remains whether to be seen. Uh, it remains to be seen whether viewers like the idea of being able to speed through seasons of shows faster, or believe Netflix should stop playing with time. <laughs> playing with time. That's such a weird way of saying it. But yes, that's the article right there, and that's um that's pretty much it. That's pretty much what's going on here now. I think it's uh, I think it's interesting thinking about this because because uh, my first thought was I can see why they're trying it, but I can and this was before the everyone exploded on it. I literally just saw like the article itself, and then I saw the directors exploding on it and actors as well. But um, initially, my initial thought was I'm su- I'm I'm surprised they haven't done it before. <laughs> I'm so, I'm really I was generally surprised that they didn't do it in the first place. I, I, I didn't realize this the first time they were experimenting with it. Um, I always thought it was a feature. Honestly, I just uh, I, I just never bothered. I don't I don't really I personally don't feel like that's logical to do. Um, I can understand why people would want to have it at 1.5 because hey, people do it with podcasts. <laughs> You might you might be doing it with this podcast right now. You might be having me at two times. I don't know. You maybe maybe I don't know how I sound at two times. Maybe I'm telling this, and you know, maybe <laughs> maybe you do. And I know a lot of people do have their podcasts at uh, 1.5 or two times or even three times. I think that's a bit archaic, but um, I think 1.5 is an acceptable amount. It's not it's not stupid fast. I think past two times it's a bit. 
it's a bit silly and uh, it's going to sound weird and there's no point uh, there's no point in there's no way you can digest that uh, three times speed it's just I don't know why you'd bother you might as well just skip the whole fucking thing but anyway it's different it's different doing that with um it's it's different doing that with film because obviously podcast is you know it's not it's not art yet maybe it will be someday but it's not exactly art in the in the tv sense in the music sense in the uh, uh in the film sense it's not exactly like that it's, it's it's something different so it's obviously acceptable for someone to put a podcast on 1.5 or 2 I am not offended by the fact that you might have it on 1.5 or 2. I'm just happy that you're playing it. <laughs> I'm just happy that you're playing me, to be honest. Uh, I don't care what speed you have me on. I, I don't really know why you'd have me on 1.5. I kind of speak at a decent speed. Um, if I, I'm not exactly like Ben Shapiro, who's always talking like this. and you know uh, that, that dude will be on 0.5. But then again, I'd probably put him... Well, actually, you know what? Skip, because I don't listen to him. <laughs> Shots fired. Did it. Um... But when it comes to film and TV and uh, even music, actually, I, I, I do I do wonder sometimes, uh, you know, you know, back in the day where you get a where you get a song online from a, you know, not a, not a official source, let's say that. And sometimes the the voice is either pitched up or slightly sped up. Have you ever know? Have you ever had that kind of thing? I've had that before. You know, when you look up a song on YouTube or whatever back in the day, or or any of the you know sus sites, <laughs> suspect sites that you go on to find music. Um, sometimes they just sound different. You know, maybe they just be a little faster. Just 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 a stoosh. Not not enough for you to completely notice. But if you're eager like eager-eared enough, eager-eared. What's the what's the what's the what's the phrase for eagle? You know eagle light, but what's the difference? Between, what's the what's the what's the ear version? Pin ear, ear pin back, I guess. If your ears are pin back, um, if you have bad ears, like I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying. But anyway, you know what I mean. If your ears are good enough, you'd notice it. Uh, but when you're just listening idly, you're not going to bother. You're not going to care. But film and TV is different because it's it, it, they make it for that particular speed. If they wanted to speed up, they speed it up. If they wanted to slow it down, they slow it down. Um, to 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 watch a TV show, or especially a film, at one point five is just a bit of a slap in the face to whoever made it. I think personally. Now you might be you you might be asking you know what's the difference and it doesn't matter and you know it, it's going to be convenient for me. No 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 no. And I respect your opinion, but it is really just, I, ca- I can't really explain uh, how um, important it is for people who make these things, make these TV shows and films, for them to have it at the speed they judged it at. It it, it can affect how you watch something, you know. Obviously, not everyone watches stuff critically, but if you watch it at one point five, you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, have the same. You're not gonna have the same feeling towards it if you're watching it at the speed it was intended. You know what I mean? It's the same with music. Why would you watch a why would you listen to a sped up song unless they sped it up themselves? You know, it it doesn't make sense. There's no, there's no, there's no logic to it. You're not gonna, you're not gonna have the feeling that the artist or the filmmaker gave or uh, offered to you. This is how you should feel when you're watching this. But then you're now you're watching it on one point five. So now it may, it may be a really deep scene. Excuse the airplane. It may be a really deep scene. But then you have it at one point five, and then now it's just, now it just looks like a mild. It just looks mildly funny in some way. You know what I mean? So, um, I hope they don't go through with it. Um, even if they do, I'm not going to use it because, you know, I'm, I make time. If, you, if you're going to make time to watch something, make time to watch something. If you're pressed for time, don't watch it. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, but, you know, radio shows, podcasts, uh, you, you, you can do that. You can do that all day. Um, I don't know. Don't know if if anyone else on a podcast size have uh, have beef with that. 
um if 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 that's the case then you're in the you're in the wrong business but uh yeah uh, i'm just i'm just happy you're listening so once again thank you for listening and uh, uh if you if you listen to me at 2.0 you're a bit of a maniac <laughs> i'm not gonna lie you're a little bit of a maniac <laughs>so we move on to our second life segment and uh, we're going deep again because <laughs> i can't stop being deep um this is about uh you know i, f- I find this weird um before as i want to preface this particular uh, article with just like how we how how we how we how we look at things in our lives i find this very fascinating so we all have our biases right we all have our biases and some of that comes from our personal experience. Most of that comes from our personal experience. So, like, if you're a if you're a Liverpool fan, Hillsborough feels different to you than to me, who is not a Liverpool fan and a fair weather football fan. To be honest, I'm, I'm, I keep up, you know, I keep up so I can have conversations with people about football, but not exactly to the to the end where I'm like, oh, do you, yeah, do you, do you, see, do you see that build-up, that build-up play on that goal? No, 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 it's not that deep for me, you know? I'm not talking about tactics or anything like that. I, I can talk about what happened, you know? I can talk about England-Bulgaria, clearly, but, uh, you know, not anything that deep. But, yeah, that's, that's just an example. So, if you if you're, if you were there at Hillsborough, obviously, it would feel much more powerful to you than someone who wasn't there or someone who wasn't born at that time, you know, it's, it's going to feel different. But sometimes, even with that said, uh, there, there are some cases where, like, uh, say if you go, say if you go to, okay, we've all been to primary school, right? We've all been to primary school, yeah, we've, mo- most of us have been to high school, most, some of us have been to university, some of us are doing masters, and mind you, number of us are doing masters and PhDs and stuff like that, you see where I'm going? some in some places of education and in other places of life you know you might you might be very uh, you might have opinions on retail work i've never had a retail job so i don't really have any hard feelings towards that kind of job um but obviously a lot of people do when they work in retail you start to hate retail and you start to hate people and you start to hate a lot of things or love a lot of things you know it's it's, it's experience but when it comes to education, and that's kind of half a bit of the subject, I will get to it at some point. Um, <laughs> when it comes to that, uh, when it comes to education, even though we've all been to primary school, right, we don't look up news on primary school, maybe until we have a child that's going to primary school. You know, we might not have any opinions on univers- uh, on a high school until we send our children to high school. You know, you might, you might not care until then. Um... And for me personally, even though I've been, it's been like a a year out of uni for me now, and I'm still getting to grips with getting my life together. (laughs) Oh God, if that's not the real statement of this year. Um, (laughs) Even even with that said, I still, I still feel an affinity with what happens in the overall university space and how that culture breathes other things because I believe that when you when you leave high school um it kind when you leave high school it gives you an opportunity to be different or to act different um sometimes for the worse sometimes for the better I think for me it was for the better um for some people's uh, maybe for worse because you know once I got to university for the first time there were a lot of people that were being fake. Um, that's just that's just how it goes, you know. There's being there's being nice, and then there's just trying to either I don't know. Um, you know, you know I I hate it when there's like TV shows that send their kids off to university or whatever, and it's like a, and they and they say you can you can be a whole different person. No, why would you? At that point, you should be com- no. I'm gonna say you should be comfortable because obviously you don't have to be. People are never comfortable in life most of the time. But I'm saying there's no point in acting different at that point. Because if you're yourself, 
you're yourself and you know you can change yourself obviously I changed myself a lot during university but um there's a lot there's a lot of times when uh, uh where university I think molds people more than high school more than primary school and I think that's why I find it a little bit more important to me personally because I feel like people that come out of university are that person until the day they die if that makes any sense um how should I was okay I could say that better probably probably I think okay the lessons learned in university are hold uh, hold more root than high school or primary school in my mind I think um yeah so with that said I want to get into racism in university so so it's a very 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 long build up and I apologize for that I, was, I went on a bit of a tangent I would have been but yeah so I saw this and I, I felt a bit some type of way because I just uh I feel like it should be well, like with every topic in this show, I feel like it should be talked about. And uh, I just wanted to shout it out. So, so this is by Kahindi Andrews. Uh, I mentioned him a few weeks back. Uh, I think he, when he when he released his book. I think, uh, yeah, Kahindi Andrews. Yeah, so uh, long, long time favourite of the show, I guess. <laughs> uh, this is called uh, Racism in Universities is a uh, systemic problem, not a series of incidents. So let's get into it. You might, and, the, and this this is again, like, you know, if you didn't go to university, you might not know any of this. You might, you might not. Um, I didn't experience any racism in university, but I still know that it happens in universities. And that's probably just only because I went to university. If you didn't go to university, why would you know? You know what I mean? It's just, that's, that's why, why I was talking about at the start, at the start of this topic. But anyway, so let's get into the article itself. Uh, racial harassment, from open abuse to more passive mistreatment, is so commonplace in UK universities uh, that for black staff members such as myself, it feels like something we uh, just have to get used to. With the publication of the Equality and Human Rights Commission's new report, uh, we now have evidence to prove that racism is grossly under-acknowledged in universities. The figures show that somehow... 43% and 56% of universities thought that every incident of racial harassment against students and staff was reported. In reality, less than half of staff said that they had that they had reported their experiences. Uh, I've been in universities for almost two decades and cannot think of anything they are uh, they are worse at handling than racism. I've experienced multiple episodes of racial harassment both as both student and staff member. I never reported any of these because I had no idea how I would have gone about it, and even if I did, would have no faith in the university to take my experiences seriously. Perhaps now that we have numbers, uh, now we have now we have some numbers, the report will be an impetus for change. Despite this, I remain skeptical. The report is no uh, panacea. Is that how you say it? Panacea. Yeah, panacea. I've, I've never heard, I've never heard that word before. That's a great word. Uh, it has failed to condemn universities for institutional racism by connecting incidents of racial harassment to the myriad of other symptoms of racism, including the attainment gap, higher dropout rates, and an uh, ethnicity pay gap, uh, lack of black professors. Uh, we cannot understand uh, we cannot understand any of these isolation. The report also describes racism in an overly simplistic way. As the product of backwards individuals who hurl abuse to those uh, who are not white rather than existing in many far subtler forms. This is evidenced in the way the report reveals that 9% of white students have felt victims of racial harassment. For instance, though, anti-English sentiment. <clears throat> For instance, through anti-English sentiment, sorry. Uh, this minimises the, the significance of racism by reducing it to individual encounters. Is an insult to those who have experienced racial harassment rooted in deep-seated prejudice and enabled by institutional racism to view this as comparable, considering that the EHRC ignored direct appeals from the National Union of Students to exclude anti-white prejudice, its inclusion is a dereliction of duty. Bodies like the EHRC exist because of struggles by victims of racism for recognition, representation and respect. My mum worked for decades for the forerunners to the EHRC, and I can only imagine her pain to see the legacy of that work so cruelly distorted. The fact that the authors ever thought such a definition of racial harassment was appropriate shows just how out of touch and unfit for purpose the race relations industry has become. 
According to a report, a solution to long-standing institutional racism in universities is more legislation than better enforcement. Yet Britain has some of the worst progressive race, rela- race relations legislation in the world. The Equality Act of 2010 put the burden on institutions not only to avoid committing racist acts, but to proactively ensure that the practice that their practice is anti-racist. Sadly, the raft of research from across higher education, along with other sectors, show that this has had no meaningful impact on racial equality. Racism is not a collection of individual acts, but rather a systemic problem, and therefore no amount of legislation that attempts to deal with supposed bad apples can ever address the problem. To combat racism in universities and in other, as in uh, other institutions, we need to stop focusing on individual incidents of racial harassment and fundamentally overhaul the structures that perpetuate it. The HRC provides an opportunity to talk about experiences that have long gone ignored, but does so in a framework that only adds insult to injury, missing an opportunity to drive forward this conversation. This will not become. This will not come as a surprise to, ethnic, to the ethnic minority staff and students who continue to push for meaningful change. Um, so, for those who don't know who Kindy Andrews is, he's a professor of Black Studies at Birmingham City University. Um, so, I found that very illuminating, honestly, because uh, again, like I said, I didn't. You know, in my time at university, I didn't experience any overt racism uh, in my education um, maybe socially trying to think maybe socially like you know just being jid out of fucking club or some shit but any, but you know in education wise I wasn't you know I felt I felt you know equal <laughs> in in the in the uh, in the you know in the general sense um, but the fact that professors and like te- and you know teachers and lecturers also experienced harassment is kind of jarring to 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 think about um you think because you know they're adults <laughs> most of them you know most of them are, I, don't, I don't know the average age of professors in universities but it's probably high it's probably above 30 um so you know considering that is the case the fact that they experience harassment now it might not be via other professors. It might be via others. It might be via their students, and that could be some bullshit right there. Um, that that could possibly happen. I can I can see that happening. Um, but yeah, the fact that the fact that it happens for professors as well is actually very depressing and uh, very jarring as well. Um, the statistics really hold up the fact that well, don't hold up, um, and kind of delegitimizes uh, themselves. By simply adding that white bit, nine percent of white. What? What? Don't piss me off. Let's not have that conversation because I don't want to have that conversation. And you guys know what that conversation is. Let's not do that. But I just wanted to highlight this particular article, uh, because uh, you know, like I said, sometimes we go through life and we just we see injustices that have nothing to do with us, and because they have nothing to do with us, you don't look for it. And because you don't look for it, you'll never see it. Um, there's probably a lot of there's probably a lot of things that I am missing out news wise, you know, because it doesn't apply to me. Um, there's probably a lot of um, you know stuff to do with uh, medication, you know, uh, that I don't know about because I'm not on it. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. What's happening with uh, you know people with um, cystic fibrosis, for example? I don't know what's happening there because I don't have cystic fibrosis. Um, and that's, and that's just how life works, and, you know, you can't, you can't catch all news everywhere, um, but I just wanted to highlight this one, because I feel like, even though I'm not exactly applicable to university anymore, and actually connected to it in any way anymore, um, I still feel it's something that's worth talking about, because the people that commit these racial acts either are still getting paid to be in university and teach, other people, which I find ugh, scary as shit, because imagine having a kid and your teacher's racist. Nah, I'm 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 slapping that teacher and leaving with my kid right there. Uh, or students are being racist and they're going out in the outside world with whatever grade they have, and they're getting jobs, and they're just going to continue being on their bullshit. So. You know, that's just that's kind of why I wanted it, why I wanted to hell this and uh, uh, yeah. So pick up Andy Andrews on that one.
So we get to the last um, topic of the episode and it's music and it's talking about Tiny Desk. So for those that I don't know, I don't, I don't know how popular. Well, I do know how popular Tiny Desk is because I have the stats on here. But for those that don't know what Tiny Desk is, it's a, it's basically a YouTube series. If anything, um, uh, basically artists come through uh, via NPR and uh, the, uh, in America, and they basically do a Tiny Desk uh, show, which is basically uh, well, actually, it says in the article, but basically, it's like a. Uh, acoustic performance you know in a sense uh they all have all the acts have to be uh, behind this particular desk and they have like a small audience of people that work at NPR and uh, they basically do their show and uh, yeah it always sounds different to the music that they actually do Cause, you know obviously they have the elements but uh, it's, it's it's much more different uh, it's much more real uh, much more authentic, so uh, and pe- and people really enjoy it. Uh, same with um, Color Studios, uh, Color Shows, because that shit is so clean. It's like people, your artist is like in a box, and it's it's, it's lit up in some particular color of choice, and they just either sing, they but most of the time just sing straight into a microphone, and that's it. It's very minimal, and uh, those are these particular kind of shows are coming out. Um, you know, the the regular freestyle isn't isn't there anymore. It's no such thing as that anymore. Well, there is, but it's it's usually down to, you know, radio shows, you know, fire in the booth, stuff like that. You know, there's always stuff like that, but these always hold a different feeling towards them because it feels new, it feels fresh, it feels different. So, um, so I wanted to talk about Tiny Disc and uh, just uh, I saw an amazing article about it. It's very lengthy, actually. So if you want to go read it, read it. Uh, I suggest you do. Uh, if you want to learn about it, because there's a lot of good history behind it. It's not just the show itself, but it's also like behind the person behind the show as well. It's very deep. Uh, this is by uh, Zachary Crockett of Vox. Uh, Tiny Disc, How NPR's Intimate Concert Series Earned a Cult Following. Um, so I assume it's not that popular, but it has a cult following. And um, I'm a, yeah, I'd like to see myself remember. Probably not. I don't, I don't watch every single Tiny Desk performance because, you know, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> but uh, when 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 the nice I know uh, cops on there, it's very entertaining. I actually got this from uh, via, well, simply because this past week I watched uh, Meg the Stallion, and uh, who was with her? Phony people uh, was there with uh, with Meg the Stallion supporting her, and it slaps. It fucking slaps. I don't know why it slaps, but it really slaps. So it's like an adult contemporary trap. It's so weird. It's so interesting. Like, it's, it's so fascinating. And Megan Stanley is just a beast. Like, she's she's so clean. She's such a great, uh, such a great rapper. Absolutely one of the best out there right now. Uh, but anyway, so I wanted. So let's get into this. Um, I'm just going to go in uh, mid midway through. Um, over eight years, uh, more than 550 musical acts have played at this quote-unquote tiny desk. The show has attracted cult following on the internet, partly thanks to its musical curation, a peculiar mix of indie rock, hip-hop, uh, world music and jazz, but more so because of its authenticity. In an age of overproduction and digital manipulation, tiny desk offers uh, something honest. Performances rife with awkward pauses, untuned guitars and hiccups. It reassures us that our vulnerabilities are meant to be celebrated, not hidden. The concept of the show is simple. Musical acts come to play a show behind the desk of All Songs Considered host Bob Boylan. Uh, They run the gamut from little-known alt-rock bands uh, to legends uh, like Yo-Yo Ma and Adele. Uh, They could be quiet, artistic duo... Autistic, <laughs> acoustic duos, uh, metal acts, 23-piece uh, Brazilian brass bands, or hip hop eyes. There's only one rule. All equipment has to fit behind the desk. No PA system, no elaborate FX rigs, uh, no fancy electronics. The shows are recorded and then posted to YouTube and NPR's website, uh, where they garner millions of views. Confining an artist to a desk has a very real effect on the outcome of sound. Sets are incredibly intimate, up close and personal, sometimes almost painfully so. As one producer tells me, there's nowhere to hide at Tiny Desk. Stripped of typical stage equipment, musicians are forced to confront the essence of their art form. But to really understand the passion that drives to the show, it's necessary to tell tell the story of Bob Boylan, his career and host. We won't get into that, because I don't want to, 
<laughs> so we put and uh, uh, you can you can read it uh, for yourself because uh, to be honest, yeah, he, he does have a very interesting story. But this is a podcast that runs for an hour, and I rather not do that. Uh, you know what I mean? I just I just rather not. So I'm just gonna skip a little bit and uh, go and and just go ahead and do that. What started eight years ago as an acoustic uh, performance at a desk has since turned into one of the internet's most popular music series. To date, NPR has recorded and produced more than 550 Tiny Desk concerts, which have collectively generated more than 80 million views on YouTube. Uh, though Boylan is at the helm, he, is no, lo- he n- no longer monopolises the show art selection. Suggestions for artists come in from a variety of NPR employees. The show that uh, still intrinsically caters to Boylan's taste, hipster-infused indie rock. But over the years, a wider variety of genres have been represented, from new jazz to hip-hop. Uh, in October 2014, Franny Kelly, then a co-host of NPR's Microphone Check podcast, side note, amazing podcast, please go listen to that because it's one of the best music podcasts in the game, uh, one, especially one of the best hip-hop podcasts in the game because the, oh, the interviews they have on there, just, oh, so good, such good interviews and so intimate as well, so uh, shout out to Franny and also Ali Shahi Mohammed, the 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 G, the G, Ali Shahid. Shout out to Tribal Quest. Uh, noted the lack of hip-hop artists on Tiny Disc and represented, uh, recommended T-Pain. Known for his heavy use of auto-tune, pitch correction software, the artist showed up with just a keyboard uh, keyboard player and delivered an impressive vocal performance that has since become the most popular Tiny Disc concert ever recorded. Um, Boylan didn't care much for this particular show, but he attributes his success to T-Pain, quote, totally abandoning the technology people think he's reliant on improving his raw artistry. The concept of bringing intimacy back to music is not new. As music became increasingly overproduced and synth-laden in the late 1980s, MTV's Unplugged series found a tremendous audience. The show challenged big names like Eric Clapton, Aerosmith and Kiss, uh, acts typically laden with huge production crews to go completely acoustic on a minimal stage. Robert Small, the creator of Unplugged, conceived the idea while working as a roadie with med- uh, medical metal bands. Uh, quote, I started noticing a lot of the enjoyable experience was during, uh, were during rehearsal in a hotel room or on a bus where they pre- played acoustically, he tells me. Uh, there was something really vulnerable about it. He sees Tiny Desk as a modern incarnation of his show, an antidote to the digital tool era. Uh, you're really seeing something about the performer, he says. If something sounds bad or if someone messes up, uh, it's a moment that's human. Tiny Desk is more than a music show, it is a crusade for authenticity. In today's digital world, 56% of millennials claim to feel some level of disconnect from the physical. On social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook, reality, quote-unquote, is Botoxed. Things are twisted, manipulated and advertised to appear far better than they actually are. Tiny Desk is, of course, a product of technology. It lives on the internet and is heavily dependent on a weirdly complex yet minimal production process involving an array of strategically placed microphones and cameras. But the show also embraces flaws such as uh, as intrinsic to art. We hear Alt-J mess up a guitar lick. We see the veins in Hosier's neck as he strains to hit a high note without an amplifier. We feel the awkwardness of the silence between takes in an Adele set. The show reminds us, of, reminds us of our own nakedness, our own vulnerabilities, and in its own way, it tells us we're okay as we are. Oh, that's a, that's a very, that's a very uh, poetic way to end an article right there. So that was, that was quite a bar right there. That was good. I felt that one. I felt that right in the soul. But yeah, if you haven't seen Tiny Desk, um, go just, just, just type it up, NPR Tiny Desk, and I guarantee you. One of your favourite artists have been on there. I guarantee you, like you'll find something there because they have a really, they've really, uh, they've really branched out. Um, there've been some great hip hop artists on there. Literally legends like B Daddy Kane's been on there. Uh, Rakim's been on there. Uh, people like Tired Creator, Mac Miller's been on there. Nao's been on there. I can uh, Common uh, with Moomoo Fresh like. Oh, I can I can go on for days honestly. It's so it's really good for uh, just it really is like I said. Really feels fresh. It really feels different. And in this day and age, obviously, like it's like the article said, with everything being overproduced and you know all sounding perfect, it really it really adds another dimension. Knowing that they can fuck up at any time. And uh, the action and the, and the space between songs is just it can be really weird because <laughs> you know there's people there you know there's people behind the te- camera uh, but when they when they just finish a song and it's just like 
10 seconds of just silence and like everyone preparing for the next song it's, it's really it's really different it, it feels really weird but uh but yeah it's, that's that's kind of the essence of it and the and why it's so cool but anyway ladies and gentlemen with that said this is uh, this is the end of the show this has been what's good i hope you've enjoyed this episode uh very up and down and i kind of <laughs> I kind of uh, planned it to be that way, to be honest. Because uh, when when it when I have a when I have a two up two down, I like to just chop and change, just to, and I like to end on a positive, which I hope I've done. Bernie, but yeah, uh, I hope that hope that went well for you guys, as 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 I, as I think it did. Uh, we shall see when I edit this. Uh, but yeah, from the Fifth M Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor. And this has been what's good. So I hope you've enjoyed this particular episode. Thank you for listening, as always. Uh, if you want to bark at me for anything or for not covering anything, uh, please let me know. I'm always down to talk about something that, I've, that I rarely talk about or stuff like that. Um, if you want to bitch about me about election stuff, then please go do that because I was obviously very hinty, 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 hinty on that one. <laughs> and, that, and, that was, and that was very purposely done. I didn't want to say anything for definite, but I was hinting at a lot of things, and uh, hopefully you got those hints. Uh, but yeah, but yeah uh, on that note, I shall leave it there. I uh, hope you have a good week, ladies and gentlemen. I shall always, always try and do the same. And until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Intro music is Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music is Vista by Poldor. You can find all their music via Bandcamp in the links in the description. Shout out to Chill Hot Music, Chill Hot Records for the ability to use these songs. You can also find their particular page via Bandcamp in the link below. I simply forgot to uh, do this at the at the end of the show like I usually do, so I just thought I'd throw it in the ITV style. So, uh, and I haven't got a tagline for the finish, so uh, go vote. <laughs>